Welcome all. This is John Arnold, and uh, we are back with another Watch This Space podcast. And to my left, you don't know that, but I think he's on my left, is Chris Fine, my longtime colleague. Hey, Chris. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Good to be back. Yeah, we hope uh, you've all had a nice uh, restful break. And uh, 2020 is here, and we are looking at not just a new year, but a new decade. So it's a good time to be... Uh, trying a little bit of crystal balling and, and thinking about what's going to be coming in the year ahead. And as you know, we look at a lot of trends in the communications technology space and the broader kind of evolving digital workplace where so many trends are, are kind of converging to re kind of, I, I think reshape what we think of as work, what it is, how it gets done. And with that, how we communicate and share information and, uh, uh, get things done, right, Chris? That's right, John. I think these trends are going to continue as we're going to talk about. Yeah, so we did our last podcast on 2019, kind of some key takeaways. And if you haven't given that a listen, you might want to put this on pause and give that a listen so you'll know where we were coming from about the year and the decade we were exiting. And now we'll set the stage a bit for what we think are going to be the big things to watch for in 2020. So, Chris, we've been kind of, as we prepped for this call, we've kind of identified two two big themes that we'll touch on today. And, uh, yes, more acronyms, but they're familiar ones. Uh, so, first one being AI and the second being CX, those being uh, artificial intelligence and CX being customer experience. So, they're both related, or as AI seems to touch on everything these days. But uh, we'll spend a few moments talking about what we're seeing in each area. Uh, certainly, as the as the year starts on the early side, uh, no big bangs yet, but they're they're coming. And uh, I think it's important to keep a focus on what the market's going to start to look like as these trends start to I don't know assert themselves uh, in. in in this year, but also, you know, they're not new. We've been following these trends for a while, but we think that this year and coming decade is when they're really going to start becoming very mainstream and really starting to shape the potential we've always expected that was coming with these. So, Chris, I think let's um, look first at AI. I, I know you spent a lot of time looking at systems design, systems integration uh, as a way of applying this technology. And so there's a few things to unpack there. So uh, let me uh, turn it off to you for a few minutes here and just uh, start this uh, start this uh, thread going. Well, thanks, John, and I agree with you. I, I we have talked about AI before, and everybody probably sees all the news stories and everything else and knows that it has it, AI and its sort of junior cousin, data science, have or probably more like a sibling, data science have advanced to the point now where they are very, very widely available for a very low cost. And like any other thing in technology that's that important and potentially contributory to functionality, reduction of cost, et cetera, et cetera, these, it's going to become more common. So if I think about 2020, I think that you're just going to see more and more everyday AI, that any system that's being designed or a product that's being deployed the the producers of it are 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 creators of it manufacturers are at least going to look at how ai can help in that product like what role ai can play and how would they incorporate it because the cost of doing so and the complexity of doing so 
is uh, uh, is is just not that high. And so, if you think about all the things that we've seen in the past couple or three years start to acute, start to incorporate some sort of AI functionality, everything from cars to your thermostat, you know, to, to customer service, which you can talk about some more. I just think this is going to be part of the landscape. And I think that there are many ramifications for that, both positive and negative, but this is just going to be a technology that becomes part of everyday life. It's already happening, but it's just in 2020, I think you're going to see a real continuing spread of that into more and more areas of product and, and, and capability. So is it too early to think about AI as a, you know, table stakes, almost like a commodity, or is it still something that we view as almost like a, and a value add to something? I think it's going to be a little bit of both depending on the product category. So I'll give you an example of both. One example of what I think is going to become table stakes, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, is in, for example, the area of video cameras and particularly surveillance. I think that AI allows these systems to meet a need that the buyers of the systems have, have really had out there for years. You have, you know, I've talked about this is the need to do what Broadly, you would call anomaly detection or looking for one particular thing. And then when you couple that with the pump, with the potential for replacing things like badges with facial recognition and things like that, there's a big market out there. And now that it's becoming not so hard to do that, that's, that's an area where I think it's going to become table space. You're just not going to end up buying what you might call a dumb surveillance system. Now, where you might, where you might think about the other side of this, where it's kind of a nice to have, at least for a while, but it's not fundamentally altering the function of the thing. It might be some sort of household appliance where, let's say, I'm, I'm not going to say a refrigerator because as I was actually thinking about it, AI with refrigerators is, is already happening and it's going to happen with things like understanding when you need ingredients and things like that. But let's say a range, a stove, right? You could definitely incorporate functionality that uses sensors to cook things better, um, to regulate heat, to be able to handle a wide range of cooking techniques without the the chef really needing to know much and things like that. But I don't see that becoming common in every home yet. Now, having said that, I, I, I do think that all forms of home automation are going to be more and more AI-driven. And I do think we're seeing that already in, in Cedia world, as we've talked about, and some of the other home tech and I do think in office workplace tech, it's going to be more and more table space. So I guess on the whole, it's, it's just going to be, you know, it'll be put in some things where it's really necess- not necessary because you can say that you have it. Cars is another one where it's really necessary. It, it does good things for cars, not driverless, but even with drivers, it can increase safety, et cetera. But I think the most of what you see breaking out and really increasing in 2020 is going to be what I would have classified as becoming table stakes. Does that answer your question? Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think we're yet at the point where, you know, you wouldn't want to buy a product because it didn't have AI in it. You know, it's almost like having that Intel inside, you know, stamp of approval, so to speak, that, you know, oh, uh, I've got to have an AI enabled 
whatever it could be a car it could be a, a pc it could be a uh you know a, a, anything and i'm just wondering you know it's probably too soon for that because we still haven't been able to articulate the benefits of ai in meaningful ways that a lot of end buyers understand and certainly in the enterprise because the end users don't buy the products they're just using them for them do they even have to know that it has ai i mean it's going to raise some some maybe some you know ethical considerations too that um there might be layers of an enterprise software solution for example that has ai in it that is really only for it and management to worry about whereas you know the workers it may be transparent to them um but so so there may be other layers of information that's being gathered or captured as we're using these applications that we may not even be aware of i agree but i also think that there are so many different layers of enterprise technology where ai is already being applied and going to be applied more that it you're just going to that it, that's going to be table stakes too for example there are so many business processes where you could really apply some sort of reasoning to are is it getting done right you know to to move things through a system to you know do things like vendor questionnaires just to pick one random thing that if this gets cheap enough then uh you know why wouldn't you right why wouldn't you make it smarter especially since you typically have all the data that you need to do it because AI feeds on data. So I think there's a lot of enterprise layers where you're going to start seeing more and more of this. I actually think that the shortage, the, the, the constraining factor with AI, at least in 2020, is going to continue to be lack of expertise, like a shortage of people who really know about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that's going to be forever because I think as more and more of these AI systems get trained by the experts on more and more things, then, you know, the expertise required just to set it up is going to decrease. But I think especially from IT, today it's just really hard to find enough people to really understand this. So I think that will be a constraint, not forever, but certainly for the next 12 months. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely with you with you there. And, uh, you know, certainly in the academic world, uh you know, big businesses have been poaching their data scientists for a long time now, and uh, it's, it's a bit of a brain drain there, competition for the talent, and that, that's an ongoing issue, I know. And uh, that's a whole kind of side conversation about where that talent's going to come from. But, yeah, I, I and I think all of this, I think, ultimately comes down to trust, right? I mean, how effectively can these applications do what they're supposed to do because uh, until they can deliver something as good as or better than what humans can bring, there's going to be some skepticism, right, about where the value truly lies. Because AI, for the most part, still requires human interaction and, and supervision to kind of vet it. So we, we haven't come to the point where we, you know, innately trust an AI-driven process end-to-end. There's not too much of that in the marketplace yet. But I know that's where it's going to be. You know, that's where they want it to go. But we'll, you know, it's going to be too early in 2020 to say. But certainly by the close of this decade, you know, I think what we're talking about now will sound pretty quaint. I agree. I agree. You know, sometimes it's a it's a vast oversimplification. But some of 
what I think of sometimes is, is how cruise control developed in cars where when, you know, the fact that that was going to take over the function of the accelerator and the brake in cars back when, when that was introduced and all the various glitches that cruise control had and its limits, you know, a lot of people had a lot of difficulty trusting it. Whereas today it's like you may or may not prefer to drive with cruise control, but it's there. And if you turned it on, you'd believe it would work. So I think the next layer up is in every, in every uh, product category is, is, is similar to where cars are starting to get to now with AI, where you, you trust them, for example, to help you avoid collisions. You're still driving the car. It's not an autonomous car at this point, but you're, you know, the new systems that they have to avoid, help you avoid like rear ending somebody or, you know, hitting something when you're parking all these different things, you could actually get to a point where you could trust it. You know, even parking the car. If the system says it can park the car, a lot of people, there's a level of trust now that the people think this is great because a lot of people have trouble parking cars in as parallel parking. So I think if you think about that sort of metaphor and you think about enterprise systems, you look at where, you know, with this level of AI, you, it's not, it's probably not going to be complete automatic pilot, but in some systems it may be, but it's probably going to be where it just makes something happen better that is difficult or expensive and or low low accuracy for humans to do. And I think most people are going to be fine with that. But as you say, what you have to do is watch where the border is and make sure it doesn't make sure as it gets into more and more things that there's some kind of you know administrative framework that keeps it from getting out of control. Yeah. So all, all I can say to any of us listening, if you're especially on the on the uh, younger side of the demographics, stick around in 10 years and come back and give this podcast a listen, because I think the things we're talking about today, where we are trying to understand where that border is, as you say, Chris, you know, how far can we go trusting AI um, and passing on kind of or giving up certain tasks and functions that we do routinely ourselves. Um, the car analogy is a very good one, I think, because it really, I, you can see where this is going. And I think that's the same pattern is going to follow for almost everything else we're doing right now. So uh, oftentimes, as we see, the consumer world kind of leads where the enterprise world is going to go. So these, these examples of what we do in our day-to-day lives uh, at home uh, I think are going to, you know, carry over into the workplace too with the way things get done there. And, you know, you mentioned about uh, identification, for example, to authenticate, you know, letting people inside buildings into office spaces, et cetera. That's increasingly becoming, you know, biometrically based and AI is going to have a lot to do with that with facial recognition, et cetera. And that's just going to become the norm. And uh, I, I just think, you know, again, what we're talking about now if you listen to this podcast 10 years from now, you'll probably, you know, be scratching your head like, what are these guys talking about? You know, we got past this a long time ago, and that's that's going to happen, we know, but uh, it's not because it's preordained. I mean, you have to have a lot of thought. You have to incrementally improve things along a certain path to get there, and that's where we are today. I agree with you. I think it's going to be about, and I think your point about trust levels and the evolution of trust levels is a super important one because that's going to drive a lot of adoption too. 
I guess if I were to throw out one piece of thought for our listeners on, you know, going into 2020 on this topic, because we'll move on, is I would urge everybody, if a lot of our listeners already know something about this topic, but if you haven't really focused on AI, there's a whole bunch of decent documentaries out there on TV. There was recently a very good one in the U.S. on the Frontline series on PBS. It was a multi-part, excellent documentary on AI, the good and the bad. I would, I would just say everybody would want, in business certainly, would want to think about this topic, like learn something about it. It doesn't have to be the super the technology, but kind of the state of the state with it and where it's going and, you know, how it's incorporated into more and more things, uh, because it's going to be a major part of the, of the technology landscape. It already is, but it's going to be, you know, it's, it's going to be as common as, you know, word processing within a few years, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So let's, um, we, we could be here all day on that one and, uh, we'll revisit it as we go along, but let's, uh, shift gears a bit here and, and get onto the other two letter acronym of CX, a little more of an awkward term, but it's quite, uh, you know, it, it's become quite a focus area, certainly in the customer care context center, customer service space. I use all those terms interchangeably, by the way, because that just shows you how messy this space has become. Um, you know, like, like we say, you know, in the early days, as you say, Chris, with the car, with starting with cruise control, a very simple set of controls, then it's morphed and it becomes other things. And before you know it, the car is becoming something that humans have very little to do with it in their experience. And that's what's happening in, in this world of contact center these days. Um, you know, we've evolved quite a bit from having interactions with customers just being on the phone, right, voice, real time, this kind of thing, where we now have this multi-channel environment where there are many ways to engage. They could be real time. They could be near real time. There's lots of modes out there that are very uh, applicable where the main issue is, excuse me, a customer has a question or an issue, needs help. That's where the contact center comes into play, and here we are. Well, the contact center, as we know, has evolved much more from just being basically an operation where staff are there to help customers respond and help with their problems to something that's much bigger now. So this is what gets us to this idea of customer experience. And most businesses have come to the realization that one of the best ways to compete and differentiate is on the service that you provide your customers, and more importantly, the kind of experiences you can create for them because that's what makes makes them more loyal to your business, that more affinity to your brand, and will keep them in your stable for buying your products and services over time. So it's much more, you know, it's shifting from more of a transactional model of you have a problem, I'll fix it, to a relationship-based environment where it's about how can we, the whole organization that's behind this brand, you know, make your day better, make your experience better, give you more reason to keep using the product? How can we help you achieve whatever aspirations you have from using this product? So that, that elevates it to a whole other level of, of conversation and, and interaction that is a very big change from what the contact center has traditionally been. So there's been a real, you know, sea change in 
how we approach customer service, and from that, the technologies that are being developed to provide that customer service and that CX that everyone is chasing these days. So, yeah, Chris, I think, you know, AI certainly has something to do with this, but it's another example of these technologies maturing to a point where now they're transformational, right? They're not just like a point solution for one thing, a phone for a voice conversation, a video camera for a video conferencing session, but it's tied to something bigger. And it's something I think we can all understand, but we haven't really had the tools until now to kind of make that real. Well, I agree, John. I, as we've said in former, in our prior podcasts, the world is shifting to experiential technology and people are growing up used to it. And those of us who've had it long enough, I mean, whatever age we may be, just get used to things being more experiential and um, if more focus on what our experience is. And so what I think that, that I think there's two ramifications to that. One is I think that that has so become a part of product design, or it certainly should be, that bringing a new product to market in any area, product or service, without thinking about what the customer experience is, is a sure way not to succeed. It's mm-hmm. almost becoming table stakes to have a good customer experience. You know, it's funny, even even things you see out there that are non-technological that historically were not great customer experiences, like a bar with velvet ropes and a big, big person there kind of letting people in or not. You see more now where they're not as quite as fierce as they used to be because it drives people away. And they'll explain to people how you can get in or not, you know, even down to that level. And, um, you know, I think in technology – if you have something that's hard to use or not serviced well enough or not supported well enough, you're just operating at a much bigger disadvantage than you used to. And there's going to be some product or service that's going to come along in your space and it's just going to pretty much eat your lunch. And um, that was not, that did not used to be the true. If we look at every area of IT that you and I look at and all that we don't, I think you're seeing that. That's why there's a rebellion against clunky in you know in-house built applications old stuff you know that just wasn't that easy to use people just don't have the patience for it and haven't been trained or conditioned in the technology that they use everywhere else to put up with it and it also has a real impact on productivity and all the other aspects of of it that we've talked about but cx is becoming absolutely key it already is but i think it has come to dominate technology um, CX, UX, whatever, whatever, whoever is ex- is experiencing or using the technology, that always is is the winning solution. Is to focus on that. Yeah, and, and to to illustrate that, there's a a few dots um, I, I want to connect that I've touched on in in our, in my writing for different things. Is this idea that some the the custom the companies that seem to be breaking away and really doing well are companies that have already figured out how to deliver a great CX. And these are often the companies that are really leading the kind of the digital revolution. So in other words, companies that are cloud native, um, that are built entirely around delivering something 
that is defined by the end experience as opposed to building a product that ships from a warehouse that you consume. Uh, um, so examples would be, you know, even something like, um, for example, Peloton, which is actually having a bit of a, a, a retreat right now. But the point is when you buy the exercise bike, there's millions, there's lots of brands out there that do exercise bikes, but what you're really buying is a subscription to a service where that data that comes from your workout is pooled, you know, with all the other users and all of a sudden it creates a new community and the value, the ultimate value comes not from the machine itself and doing your workout, but the data that's attached to that. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the business is not about the bikes. It's about, it's about the subscription and the experience that comes with that and that sense of community that comes from all the other people who are trying to do the same thing. This is kind of a new way of approaching marketing and digital uh, experiences that uh, we didn't have before. And so, yes, the company is coming up against some pushback right now, which is, I think, warranted. But it's an example of companies that are created digital from the bottom up, and they already get it. And what's happening is there's a real shift happening from companies that are more traditional and obviously, some industries are more mature than others. In fact, they don't move so fast, like insurance, for example. But they're all rushing to adapt their service to try to mimic that digital experience. So companies that are old school, that are still stuck with a lot of legacy technology, they are moving quickly because they realize it's hurting them. Uh, they're losing business because they can't deliver that kind of experience. So they're looking to what the you know, the Netflixes of the world, the real digital leaders are able to do because they're driven by data, right? These companies have embraced the cloud. They've certainly embraced AI, Amazon, these kind of companies, and they've become the real masters of the creating and delivering these digital experiences. And this is one of the reasons why some of these companies we see in the market are growing so quickly. So another example is um, Wayfair for furniture or uh, what is it, Carvana, they're creating new experiences for purchasing products that were normally always done in person in a store, right? You always go to a car dealership to buy a car. You always go to a showroom to buy furniture and see the product. But they're creating digital um, experiences for the same thing that seem to be working <clears throat> and attracting a lot of business. So these companies are kind of using this as a growth engine by delivering a superior digital consumer experience, customer experience, CX, UX, that's what's driving the growth of the business. The products themselves are almost secondary. And this convenience factor, this sense of customizing an experience, this is what consumers are looking for. So the companies that deliver that are turning into big winners. And there's going to be this gap of, of winners and losers that we're going to see over the next few years that are being defined more so by this and how they're harnessing this technology than the actual quality of the products that are being bought and sold. I agree with you, and I think that one of the things I hear you saying is that, you know, what used to be called premium level CX, you know, sort of like the business class on the well, – flying's a bad example. We could all – we could stay away from that one, but – um, let's just say the business class of whatever, um, or the first class of whatever, which used to be, 
very much on the high end, the expectations are now, in terms of customer experience, moving down the chain because there are so many opportunities to take various types of former models of customer experience and make them better. So your 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 Carvana model is is your example is perfect, right? Because yes, you used to buy cars at car dealers, but a lot of people don't like that experience. And so in most in most areas of of interaction, there's a way to improve it. And so that's one of the things that's driving this wave of uh, next generation fintech companies. Just to pick another one, we could pick any mm-hmm. number of, of markets where a lot of them are about taking some experience in the current banking and financial system that's terrible and just making it better. And you can do that outside the, the system of entrenched players. And so you look at, I agree with you, you're going to look at that in every industry and the winners will be determined partly by how effectively they make that happen. Yeah, and it comes back to the technology, uh, which is cool if you're in that space. So, okay, we're, we're running up on some time here, Chris, but we did want to talk a little bit about cybersecurity because it's, it's a natural, you know, it's very connected to what we're talking about here because where there's growth, you're going to attract good people, but you're also going to attract those who want to take advantage of people who aren't so quick. So uh, we've both been seeing this and talking about it for quite some time. So what's your outlook there on 2020? I think that the threats and attacks are going to just continue to become more common. But I think the all the technology trends that we've talked about, and CX is part of this too, although we don't have a ton of time to go into it now, the new technologies will be applied successfully in many cases to helping reduce the risk or respond better. But I think that if if there's something that's going to be more of a more of a threat, it's going to be cyber attacks and both micro and macro uh, scale. And organizations of all kinds are just going to have to put this front and center and try to apply better tools and processes and training around it. You know, everything from individual phishing up to, you know, a, a real a cyber attack through an open door through. We recently heard about some problems with ring, you know, uh, indoor cameras. You know, as we've said before, if you're going to outfit your house or your office with essentially cameras and microphones and a bunch of other IoT type or, you know, uh, smart mechanisms, uh, you have to think about security. And so um, I think that's another theme that, I know I'm going to focus on this year, and I think everybody should think about. Yeah, definitely with you there, Chris. You know, again, these trends that we're looking at are very technology, not just technology-driven, but I hate to use this old term, but high technology-driven, right? We're not, you know, the, the kind of things that AI is doing is very transformational. You know, it may take some time to get there, but... This isn't about making incremental changes in how we do things. This is almost like reinventing the way we do things because technology has reached a certain level of proficiency and, and acceptability that uh, it's 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 a much bigger story. And with that, the stakes get higher for security. No doubt that we're going to see more of that. Um, here in Ontario recently, actually, a good example of um, a company called Life Labs, which does a lot of testing for, you know, blood work and, all that kind of stuff that people go to, 
they had a security breach and 15 million healthcare records were exposed. So the scale, when it gets to be that big, um, you know, you could shut down entire industries. You talk about cyber attacks on cities, urban infrastructure. All of a sudden, these soft targets can become really, really uh, big problems when they come in. And, and, and it's probably just as much effort to do that as it is to go after individuals. So the targets become bigger and the consequences become much, much greater, right? Yes, and the number of actors, bad actors, becomes greater too. It's everything from um, individuals up to nation states yeah. who are, you know, using these techniques. And also, you know, just like we were saying, AI is becoming more and more open source. It's going to be more out there. It's more widely available. All the tools and data necessary to do the hacking or break-ins or techniques of cyber attacks is just widely out there. So people, you know, everybody, you watch the news every night and they're always getting cautioned about passwords and things. But I think the technology on the attack side is definitely getting more broad and sophisticated. So what I'm hoping is that the technology on the defense side also becomes better. And some of these trends that we've talked about, I think, will help it, but it's going to need to be applied to the problem. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, I don't want to be leaving us on a gloomy note there, but uh, it's reality too, right? I mean, technology is, you know, cuts both ways for good and bad, and uh, there's no getting around it. It's all here, and we are not going back to typewriters and and uh, writing with pencils. So this is where it's at, and uh, been a lot to look forward to, though. So, Chris, 2020 is here, and uh, we got a lot to follow, um, and I think we'll uh, just keep this thread going with our next podcast. That's great, John. Maybe we should have just done them in different order. Maybe we should have done CX last because that's largely a positive thing. But hopefully the listeners will bear with us. Yeah, me too. Me too. So on that note, let's uh, wrap up and thank everyone for listening. So this has been another edition of Watch This Space, our podcast here with myself, John Arnold, and Chris Fine. Chris, let's take them out. Great. Happy New Year. And I hope everybody had, we hope everybody had a good holiday season and uh the new year takes off on a positive note and we'll be back next month thanks john always for having me on the show thanks everybody for listening okay we shall be back over and out for now